welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard here with a very special second episode this week edition of, of the show. Our guest this, this episode is Matthew Zachary. He's the host of the Out of Patients podcast. We are going to talk about uh, patient advocacy, about his cancer journey, about the, the narrow swaths of people who get cancer that are not covered under the broader paintbrush that we think of when we think of, of chronic illness patients. And we're going to talk all about how he, his, his journey being a cancer patient himself, and how that led to him being a very, uh, shall I say, colorful uh, patient advocate. Uh, he also, the reason why we got connected, and we'll talk about this a little bit, is because he interviewed John for his po- podcast, Out of, po- uh, Out of Patience, uh, to talk about Relentless, which is John's book. A link to that whole interview with Matthew Zachary, as well as a link to where to buy John's book, are both in the show notes for this podcast. So if you haven't heard about Relentless, go ahead and check that out. It it tells the story of John's own cancer journey. Also, Matthew Zachary interviews John about that and about music, because Matthew is a musician as well. Uh, about I mean all kinds of stuff. So you really got to listen to the whole thing. Again, link to that in the show notes. Before we get to this, though, real fast, here's John with a word from our sponsor, Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans. Home today is so much more than it was yesterday. But at Rocket Mortgage, home is still all about you. During these challenging times, the top priority at Rocket Mortgage is the health and safety of the communities they serve. And one thing that will never change is their team's commitment to giving you the best mortgage experience possible. That's why if you need mortgage support, their team of experts is there to answer questions and offer solutions. They understand that hardships happen and they are here to help. Whether that means working with you to save money on your mortgage or finding a new way to navigate payments. If you have questions, the team at Rocket Mortgage has answers. They know how important your home is to you because you're important to them. If you need mortgage assistance, the home loan experts at Rocket Mortgage are available to help 24 hours a day, seven days a week. From their home to yours, the team at Rocket Mortgage is with you. Visit rocketmortgage.com slash Tesh to learn more. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Just want to say thank you to our sponsor one more time, Rocket Mortgage from Quicken, Quicken Loans. Uh, you can, again, click, uh, click the link for them in the show notes. Here, without further ado, is my conversation with Matthew Zachary. Matthew Zachary, uh, host, of, uh, host of the Out of, of Patients podcast, uh, founder of Offscript Media. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. It's a legit honor and privilege. Okay, so uh, we, we got connected because you, on your show Out of Patients, interviewed John about his book, uh, and by the way, I'll put a link in the show notes to where you guys can listen to that interview to the Out of Patient Show. Um, but you have a you started this this journey, uh, and you guys were talking about John's book, Relentless, and his story with cancer, um, and you have your own story with cancer and how how cancer ruined or not ruined, but but changed the trajectory of your life, uh, and 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 just made made laid bare certain problems with our our healthcare system, our for profit healthcare system, and. Um, I, I want to talk about all of that stuff, but first, uh, let's let's talk about when you made the shift into being um, uh, into doing podcasting. And you have you had the cancer uh, stupid cancer podcast, uh, which 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 you started. Um, why why did you start it? I guess. So I was diagnosed with brain cancer in the '90s when I was 21. I was an aspiring concert pianist going to graduate school to write for Hollywood. Brain cancer derailed all that. I'd like to think my life was interrupted. And I wound up rebuilding my life from scratch, having thankfully survived everything. 
and found myself in a space where I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. And there was no one to help me understand who the new me was. Mm. What was I supposed to do now? I had lost, I think the expression I like to use is that I lost my life, but I didn't die. And being in your in your 20s is hard enough when you're well. So just put that in context. I wound up meeting a guy, eh, it's like 2002, I must have been seven years out. And he, he was also, try to put this together, bald, Jewish, a graduate of my university, a tech guy, and the same brain cancer survivor. Like five things wow. karmically showed up at my door. And Craig was a gatekeeper to an entire world inside D.C. about public health policy, cancer research, survivorship advocacy, words I didn't know or understand. Mm -hmm. And I decided to jump ship from the backup career that I landed after I couldn't go to grad school, which was advertising and marketing. And I learned that I had the chance to make what I went through less horrible for the next me. And mm -hmm. that's how I define advocacy. And then one day, a mentor of mine said to me, you should have a radio show. Because kids, look it up. That's what they used to be called, radio <laughs> shows. And the stupid cancer show was handed to me on a platter to make my own and become the bullhorn of a bunch of angry Gen Xers who wanted equity and dignity in the diversity of cancer experience. And, and that's really where the opportunity came in, in the uh, fall of 06, when my friend Selma said, you need to have a radio show. Here's a platform, go make it happen. And I was just on the verge of launching my own nonprofit, which was called Stupid Cancer. So why not make it an eponymous radio show called The Stupid Cancer Show? And it was like an irreplicable period of time. There was no digital media. There was right. no social. This was before Facebook, before iPhones, before Android. This was a live streaming 56K dial-up kind of radio <laughs> show. <laughs> and there was nothing like it in healthcare. It didn't exist. Right. And, and it's one thing to say I'm the first podcaster because they didn't exist. So, but the show was big and it was the first and you don't know you're the first. And within a year or two, we had millions of listeners uh, with me angrily you know, screaming into a mic every Monday from 9 to 10 Eastern. And then the show grew to be the tentpole of the nonprofit of Stupid Cancer. And over the tenure of my founding it and running it, the Stupid Cancer Show stands alone, unique, apart in healthcare as the loudest voice in aggregating millions of people to rally for change. Mm. And what, so, I mean, look, I, I, I have my own preconceived notions about what I would like to see change with the way that we treat cancer, the way that we treat disease in general, and how we treat the people who are afflicted with them. But uh, what was it that you were trying to change? Like, what was it that you started to see that made you think, okay, we need to start making changes to this? Well, there's one thing to just be pissed about certain things because you're pissed about them, which is fine. It's another to have a data point or a data set or some population science health wonky beltway cancer jargon data behind you. Mm -hmm. And I read all these policy documents back when Livstrom was in his heyday. And the, the even the word cancer survivorship was new to vernacular mm -hmm. in the trades. And when I hopped on board the train, the conversation was really about how, you know, of the 1.7 million diagnoses in the country in 2006, 94% were over the age of 50. But the 6%, which are kids, teenagers, 20, 30 somethings, lost out on everything. And yes, we're a, a tiny percentage, but we have different needs 
And in the spirit of providing access and quality care and dignity to every cancer patient, there was a huge gap in care and access based on ageism. And it wasn't intentional. It was just circumstantial because typically we would just die and now we were living. So Mm -hmm. what do we do with the 80,000 people a year under 40 who get cancer, kids to 40 years old? And and that was the movement. The movement was to create a, a structure of equity, dignity, research, uh, advocacy, community, education, doctor communications, pharma relationships to restore dignity and parity so that we would survive at least at the same rates of other age groups. That's the baseline where this started. Mm. That's what got me in. That someone my age would have gone through the same crap at the same age 10 years later. Right. Right. I mean, and 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 you just sort of felt like you were part of a group that that was not what people expected with cancer. That was not what was being not what was being dealt with in terms of policy. And you needed an advocate. And so you decided to take that take up arms in that sense. Yeah, because this wasn't about research. Everyone back then is focused on cancer research is the cure. Research is irrelevant to how you're treated as a patient. Right. So the conversation, I mean, and I joked about this before, which is this hard enough being well in your 20s, right, let alone right, having right, cancer. Right. So there are issues that are unique to age in that, that timeline, you know, fertility and dating and marriage and divorce and children and insurance and careers, things that you're, you're supposed to be taking five steps forward Every day in your 20s and 30s, and here you are taking 10 steps back every day. So it's not about the drugs. It's not about the medicine. It's about how do we make sure that your life is as as minimally interrupted as possible so that you can live effectively and become a supporting member of the economy long term. Right. Uh, and, 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 like, and how – I mean it just sounds when – you, when you say that and I try to internalize it. It just sounds so unbelievably painful and difficult, and the fact that you were able to, to persevere and not only persevere but find a, a purpose in that is 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 laudable and and really impressive. I, I I'm not trying to blow smoke, but I I just think that that's I think that's fantastic. Um, go ahead. Well, it speaks to John's book because I mean I one of my favorite words is perseverance, and his book's relentless. I, I, you just got to plow through. I was I was just angry enough to never give up. I guess <laughs> right. that's the way the best way to put it. But becoming. Uh, a, a celebrity or cancer celebrity, if you would, which I was called in the media, the, the Howard Stern of healthcare, I was called on the media, mm-hmm. uh, the cancer tainer, because I was still playing piano and rallying millions of people. It didn't happen ever until this came along and it was a rising tide. Right. It wasn't just stupid cancer. We happened to be affectionately the circus tent for millions of people to realize they had a tribe that they could join a movement and restore equity for the next them. And it wasn't about grandma and grandpa and mom and dad. It was about Gen Xers first and then millennials second and then Gen Zers third. And that movement is still continuing. And did you find uh, a, a surprising amount of residents, a, a surprising number of people who, I, I know you had this vision of the next you coming up and dealing with this, but were you amazed by by the amount of traction and the amount of people that were that were on board with this, that were in, that needed this? Initially, I was not because I ascribed to Steve Jobs' business philosophy of never give someone what they want. You give them what they didn't know they needed. Right. And the, the Henry Campbell, Ford example, right? Which yes. is if Henry Ford had asked everybody what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Right. Exactly. And if you want a Model T, you can have it in any color except it has to be black. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I built the community that I wished that I had, and I had made an assumption that other Gen Xers 
would feel the same way if the brand had the same pop culture attraction in the edginess that disrupted the hallmark greeting card wristband pink nonsense that cancer was in the mid 2000s. Right. And it worked. There were no radio shows. There were no shock jocks calling out the BS in healthcare and naming all these names and putting people in the hot seat and explaining the explainer value of what I did, de-jargoned all the science right. and brought things down to a schoolhouse rock level of the average consumer could relate to, oh my God, I understand this. This is about me and the next me. Sign me up. And it wasn't about fundraising for a cure and it wasn't about racing around the country and strapping up your your bike or your whatever. It was it was the festivus of cancer advocacy. It was <laughs> for the rest it was, of us. It was not about where the cancer was in your body. Right. It was about how old you were and why that mattered. And that was the most disruptive approach that could have been taken. So yes, I was surprised over time that this wound up touching millions of people around the world. And I wasn't prepared for that level of you know recognition. But the value that stupid cancer and the brand brought to the national conversation, the international conversation on dignity first, treatment second. That's now standard. Yeah, and, and and as well it should be. I love that your angle is at the life stage approach, right? Like because so many of us, uh, we wouldn't go after so so much of the of the research is about organ system. So much of the treatment is about organ system and poison, um, and and everything is sort of compartmentalized into what. Uh, you know, you're seeing neurologists, you're seeing neurosurgeons, you're seeing neuro-oncologists, but, but you're not, you, I'm assuming at the time, you didn't have somebody who was like, and here's how to navigate all of that in your life stage. Because I'm, I'm sure it was mostly, it was mostly people in there, it was either, it was either pre-adolescence or people who were extremely aged who, who go through that kind of experience. So, so um, I find it so fascinating that the, that the life stage orientation was what, what ended up uh, helping you find find your voice in this. Yeah, I mean, I was the brand. I still kind of am the brand, having left a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. But the fundamental nature of it's not what you have, it's what you have in common. Right. And that through thread of your life stage was, was shocking to me because I'm sitting here as a survivor trying to live my life not knowing there were other people like me. Right. Not knowing that I could have known to bank my sperm or to know how to write a job description or to explain why I didn't finish this or you know, all these gaps in my life that existed were there for millions of other people who didn't have the greeter in the bad things happen store right. that I wish that I had. So I look at stupid cancer as like the greeter that's a of, really, the of the bad things happen store. That's a really great metaphor. That's a really great metaphor. Now I, I want to pivot a little bit just because I know that so many people are, are going to be experiencing, are experiencing the healthcare system as it stands in the United States right now, uh, and, and and because of COVID nineteen, because of this, because we're seeing a lot uh, a lot more people go through the system on, on the more intensive side of things. Right, most of us in our twenties and thirties, we get our regular checkups. We may have an, an injury that hospitalizes us, but for the most part, most people in their twenties and thirties don't end up getting hospitalized. But we're seeing that happen now. So I guess my my question to you is: as somebody that that lived through the system that uh, advocated for people, found ways to advocate for people, particularly people, you know, 50 and under who are, who are dealing with this, what sort of systemic changes, uh, or, or what advice do you have for these people that are navigating it? And what sort of systemic changes would you like to see still get made? 
I think the big reveal comes in three parts, and I'll probably forget the third by the time I finish the second. <laughs> but the main one is the change in which treatments are considered valuable to consumers. And I say consumers and not patients because you're entering a market where you have to spend money. Problem is you don't know what to spend your money on, and other people have to tell you what to spend your money on, and you hope you get the right information. Right. But and back and, in the and day, I find it, too, that you don't have a lot of choice in it. You know, no. it's, it's, it's a weird thing. And, and there's this illusion and your, and your insurance company pretends that you have choice. Like, oh, hey, you have to choose this hospital, choose an in-network hospital. But then you have this weird stuff where you choose an in-network hospital, but you get assigned an out-of-network doctor. And all of a sudden your bills, the surprise medical billing thing is just insane. Yeah, I mean, that's just one of 10 trillion <laughs> <laughs> nuances that go into the end of one of your healthcare experience. Mm -hmm. But I look from the research perspective, from the drug development perspective, specifically oncology, most drugs today care about your DNA. Back in the day, they didn't. it was like napalm to your body and you mm -hmm. hope you lived. And that was right. what I had. But today, it's, it's, it's just another level of, of complexity to be in network, find the right hospital. You have cancer. You're in a different category in your policy, your health policy, whether it's employer-based. Most, I think 90% of young adults are employer-based health care. We're not on the exchange. We're not Medicare. Right. So it, it, another, another fairly unique when you're employer-based, you're driven by the limitations of your policy that you don't read. It's like the iTunes Terms of Service. No one reads that crap. Well, not so only that, you don't, have a, you don't have a choice. Right, you don't have a choice. But the idea that the pharma companies and the FDA, they want you to get on the right drug. They clearly want you to get on the right drug because that drives the progress of medicine. And I, I, I'm a firm believer in that, whether it's private sector, public sector, you want the progress of medicine and you need people on the right drugs to do that, period. That's very mm -hmm. binary. Challenge is getting the right tests to know what drugs you're eligible for based on your DNA, your genetics, your genomics, your whatever it is, that's hard. And knowing that there's a trial for you, that's a whole other show we could do about trials. They're, they're a giant hot mess. Just because you know a trial's there, you can't get to it. You can't afford it. You can't afford it. The the trial criteria change, the exclusion criteria change. That again, eleven podcasts on just that challenge enough. So that hasn't evolved. But where I see the bigger picture is that industry now realizes, I hate to say it this way, the, the concierge nature of care. That with the voices, the right voices of advocates and activists, there have been systemic changes in the system because consumer demand. And this isn't like putting harpists in the hospitals and making the lounge all pretty with aesthetics like Canyon Ranch for cancer. No one cares about that. <laughs> right. Th th this new term, patient experience, jargon beyond jargon. But what it really means is that it is now financially in the interests of pharma, bio, payers, health systems to get you what you need. That to me is, is the most revelatory progress that has been made. It's a shame you're just Coke and Pepsi selling stuff to people and you're gonna get what you want. You're gonna go to the hospital that treats you better. Right. No one wants a harpist in the lounge. That, that's just, who cares? Right. You want to be treated like a person, just like when you go to the car dealership, you don't wanna be grifted. That's the, the anthropologic through thread, uh, uh, and I, I just totally forgot number two, number three, as I promised I would. But <laughs> the biggest progress we've made is, is, is looking, at, looking at how we treat human beings as customers of healthcare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, as, I think that treating human beings as customers of healthcare is at its core. It, look, for certain things, it works out really well. For elective surgeries, for certain drugs, you know, blockbuster drugs that, that are um, – 
that are are elective like that that's uh or quality of life based you know it, it works great you you can you can make a choice about the value of the drug but when when you're when you're choosing between your life or uh or your or even your qual- your actual quality of life your your ability to walk your ability to breathe and and you have no idea what the price tag is going to be for that that seems like a like a dangerous system or at the very least a difficult and scary system to navigate Right. And it also comes down to the fact that, you know, when you enter the healthcare system for a crisis, whether it's cancer, I mean, we're starting with the grand poobah here, your whole life becomes old Charlie Brown teacher. Even if you're an intelligent person, I have friends that are doctors, medical oncologists and rheumatologists and they get cancer, the kids get cancer and they can't figure out the system. So it's not, it's, it's not exclusive that I talk about, here's the jargon. Social determinants of health, SDOH, that's the new jargon. That means that what's going to happen to you is a result of what can happen to you or what has happened to you. All it means is that you're an N of one in the universe. You're floating chemistry in a sea of chaos. And whether you grew up in the zip code or you ate this candy bar or you went to this college or you didn't go to high school, all of that contributes to your own unique well-being mm-hmm. on top of the chaos of what do you get? Why do you get it? Where is it? Where do you live? All of these factors, this chaos theory contributes to whether you live or die. Mm-hmm. So there's no way to, unless you have like some kind of crazy AI like in Westworld, there's really no way to guarantee that you're going to get what you need. And I'm so fed up with people saying, oh, just be your own advocate. <laughs> Screw that. You can't just be your own advocate. Right. If you're born precocious like me, sure, I questioned the doctors and I challenged everything and I mm-hmm. got expelled from nursery school because I didn't get the math that I wanted. That's me. Not everyone <laughs> is that precocious. You can have is all this true? inside you. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's another a podcast for another day. It's <laughs> amazing. If you, at parties, like, t- tell us something no one knows about you. Yeah, I was expelled from nursery school at four years old for biting the teacher because she wouldn't give me the sleeping mat that I wanted them to have. So that's a that's great. That is a nutshell. great icebreaker piece of information to to lob. Yes, in. and it, it works every time. Yeah, nobody's gonna buy that. Like nobody gets expelled from preschool. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's it's a rat's nest inside a zephyr, inside a hurricane, inside. You know, David Bowie's labyrinth, the, the industry listening to consumer feedback now that there is more potency in our voice being louder through social media. A good use of Twitter. There are very few, but a good use of Twitter has been patient activism and hashtag movements yeah. that have driven policy, propelled nonprofit organizations and forced the FDA to do certain things that never would have done before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and I think that. I, I, the sad thing is, I think a lot of people are going to see more and more how uh, how much that how much needs to change in that space. You know, I think as as this as this pandemic puts more people into the system into the system that they can't control, uh, it's it's I think it's going to make people realize just how 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 dangerous it can be, how difficult it can be to navigate, and how non-standardized it is. Uh, right. I mean, if ever there was a case for federal government stepping in to help the states now is the time to do that when we need tests and we need awareness and and governors can only do so much and social media can only do so much when there's something practical tactical and tangible it's one thing to say every test is going to be free really did you tell my insurance company did you tell my employer so there are kinks in the chain that are revealing that the emperor has no clothes at least with our private sector um 
healthcare system, there are pros and cons to anything out there. And I've been there and done that and experienced so much in, the, in my career. But at the end of the day, don't just tell somebody, here's a greeting card and be an advocate and be proactive. You're at the mercy of a system that is finally starting to give a, a damn about who you are as a person because it is now in their financial interest to get you the right care. Right. I mean, and that's, and that's the really, oh gosh, that is such a hard thing about this. You know, it, 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 care and financial interest really, I don't know the solution, but it really, <laughs> but when you're faced with life and does stuff, you really don't want those two things in, in to be, to be in the same sentence. You know what I mean? You know, profit and purpose are these other jargon terms people like to throw around all the time. The, the, the end of the day is, is every time someone asks me, what do you think is going to happen with this? I ask whoever profits the most will fix it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is, uh, I mean, I think feel like that's, that's Western society. It's in a nutshell. just, it's just cynical enough to work. Right. Right. I, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, how do we how do we even begin to start to unpack that though for ourselves? In other words, like how do we so even begin to advocate for ourselves in a good way? Yeah, there's different kinds of advocacy, and I, I mean, a whole other show that that could be done is the are the days of the patient advocate nonprofit you know relevant anymore? And and has social media and mental health platforms and consumer sentiment and aggregators done a better job to push this push the interests of the? I guess they would call it productivity gains and health economic benefits, jargon terms. Again, this is mm-hmm. a jargon show. What's in the interest of industry to get people what they need so they save money? Right. The last thing hospitals want is for you to come back because they misdiagnosed you. That's the monetary incentive of any private sector or public sector health system is the recidivism. They don't want you coming back. They want to take care of you. And if they can figure out a way to make sure that you are taken care of, Again, patient experience. Well, let's follow up with you. Let's make sure that the doctor is a human being and trained them. this empathy in, 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 in med schools and the next generation can proactively X, Y, and Z. Again, it, it's Pandora's box at this point. But I, I keep going back to the same point, which is 25 years ago when I was diagnosed, it was, it was a death sentence. I don't know how I survived. Mm-hmm. I'm here. I don't know how other people I know back then survived. We're here. But from a from a and Obama would always say progress is not a straight line, but we have seen significant changes, fundamental economic, research-based, data-driven, science-backed, patient-advocate-focused shifts in the way that we're hopefully recentering the ship in favor of the consumer while making sure the industry gets what it needs at the same time. Very Dale Carnegie, give mm-hmm. someone what they want on your terms. how to win friends and influence people right there exactly exactly we are totally best friends man (laughs) well i uh there's a lot of um there's a lot of sadness uh or a lot of uh maybe disappointment is the right word in our system based on what you're talking to me about right now and there's a lot of uh should i say helplessness that i feel in this conversation and i really want to give people an opportunity to and i know that's i mean i I know that's a big part of the mission of what stupid cancer does right but an opportunity to feel like they uh, like they like they have a voice and a chance to to rage against the proverbial machine and that they have an opportunity to find advocacy in this so uh, do you have any pieces of advice for what if somebody finds themselves in uh, uh, in the face of a major diagnosis, whether it's COVID 
whether it's cancer, uh, what, what is the first step that those people should be taking? <laughs> There's no one answer and, and there is no, it's not binary at all. Mm. It's one thing to say, find your tribe, but how do you know who your tribe is? Right, right. I'm now uh, advising a, a large organization called NORD, the National Organization of Rare Disorders. They represent millions of people around the world with rare disease. You could have 20 of them a year. You could have, you know, 10 of them. Hemophilia is one. Not, it's like it's like if if um if it was stupid cancer, this is stupid everything else. I've had a fun euphemism there. So NORD is a huge organization with tons of community. community uh, and they're evolving and they're great, but not everyone knows that they're there. If you Google your rare disease or your rare cancer, you might get Nord, you might not. But there are fundamental consumer apps that are doing a great job helping people find tribes. Mm-hmm. And again, mental health is now at the top of the list of how do you get through stuff you didn't ask to happen to you, mm-hmm. whether it's a car accident, bereavement, suicide, disease, whatever it is. We're looking for communities of people that don't judge us, that there's no stigma, and they just want to help. Mm-hmm. So I look at like talk space, or I look at the mighty, or um, uh, those are the top two that come to mind. They're free apps. They don't sell your data. They're not evil companies, at least not yet. And they're <laughs> two million. I mean, you never know, right? Free market. Right, right, uh, right. Again, there's my Woody Allen cynic just popping yeah, in there for a yeah. second. My la- my inner Larry David just cropped out for a second. <laughs> But the mighty, the mighty has like two million users, and it's it's free, and it's it's very ethical, and they have wonderful conversations. You can find your groups and meet people, and and they they're very good at policing, and they kick the jerks out. They're great. Uh, talk spaces and other mental health. The the, the I, there's a suicide prevention hotline text chat if you know people that use that. So they they I think the consumer side has really done a great job in adapting some of the gaps and what the nonprofits cannot accomplish due to scaling and the challenges of just being a 501c3. But again, if it's cancer, yeah, the American Cancer Society, National Cancer Institute, you're going to find those places. And they've even done a great job, the big guys, of making themselves more consumer friendly. Mm. But so here's the rub. Here's the rub, Gib. Don't use Google as your doctor, but kind of use Google as your peer support. Mm. And there's no way to figure that out. <laughs> right. Right. It's, it's, it's got to be done on a case-by-case basis because it's going to be unique to you and how you want to navigate the system. Right. Yeah. I, I go the direction of mental health first. You may not have a, I know there's a spectrum of mental health. You may not have X, Y, or Z, but you may just need to vent and talk to somebody and find someone just like you. Like I didn't know, I mentioned Craig before, my first peer, you know, young adult brain cancer survivor. I was alone for seven years, met Craig. How did I not know I was alone, not alone? That's the most important thing to find someone like right. you and find someone you can right. trust like you, not in a crazy Facebook group or not something on, on whatever, like you want to find a community that's well rated and you can do your research on them and, and, and don't, if you don't know the source of where you're finding things, don't read it, go places where you can get credible information, mm-hmm. but it still is a bit of the wild west. It's slightly more maybe post gold rush iron, you know, wild west, but you know, <laughs> past the, you know, the golden spike iron west, you know, wild west, but things are better than they were. And, and, and I think it's a little easier to find a tribe today than it used mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. And if that's the first thing you are instinctively are inclined to just need to hug someone virtually and be told not everything's going to be okay, but this is probably going to get worse before it gets better. But I've been there and I'll help you. I mean, that's, uh, and that's as good a place to, to end this as any. Um, 
because I think, you know, that first step and that, and that mental health thing is, well, if you're, if you're going through this, that's, you, you need to take care of that ASAP. Uh, Matthew Zachary, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, if you would like to listen to the full interview with John that they did about, uh, about the patient experience, uh, I will put a link to the, the show in the show notes. Uh, it, is, uh, it is worth listening. Uh, one last thing, and I ask this to everybody, what is one thing people can start doing today to make their lives a whole lot better? Anger channeled well mm. can be good. I think that's, I think, you know, I think the key word in there or the key phrase in there is channeled well, right? Like using emotion and directing emotion into productivity is very very important. Uh, Matthew Zachary, thank you so much. Again, links to his social as well as the episode with John in the show notes. And uh, yeah, I appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me. That's it for our show today. If you want to follow up with Matthew, there are links again all in the show notes. Uh, if you want to re- listen to the interview that he did with John, link in the show notes. Buy John's book, Relentless, link in the show notes. Also, our uh, our store is live right now with the newest John Tesh album uh, and DVD from our latest special songs and stories from the Grand Piano. You can check that out. I'm in it. It's mostly John, but I'm in it. It's the whole story uh, of, of all kinds of uh, his, his, his career, his, his cancer journey, all of that uh, talked about from a stage. Uh, you can check out. It's our newest public television special. Also, check that out again at the store in the show notes. It is uh, one of the only places you can get it right now. Uh, if you like this show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcast. It helps us out a lot. Also, share it with a friend. If you'd like to follow up with us, facebook.com slash John Tesh is where we spend most of our time. We go live there all the time. You can find John also on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL and on Twitter at John Tesh. I am Gib Gerard. Find me at facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. Links to all of those social network uh, social profiles I just mentioned are in the show notes. Uh, I try to respond to every DM, every mention, every discussion about the show uh, because I do the show for you guys. So if you guys have somebody that you want us to interview, if you have changes that you want us to make, let me know and I will try to accommodate them. I will try to put those people on the show if they'll, if they'll talk to me and I will try to make changes to the format that makes you guys the happiest because most of all, I do this show for you guys. So thank you so much for listening.